You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this is the episode where I've sat down, not quite sure what I'm going to say to you. I've got a couple of topics, but a little behind the scenes about how I fret for you. Kevin finds this hysterical. Kevin is, uh, for those of you who are new, he's the other half of this show. He's the producer. Because one of my fears every week when we do the TV show on Sundays is that I'm not going to have anything to talk about and I'm not going to be able to fill up an hour of airtime. Now, anybody who's listened to me before probably finds that hysterical because I can fill an hour of airtime pretty much 24-7 because I never shut up. Yet this is a fear. Um, and I thought to myself, what in the hell am I going to talk to them about on the audio podcast? Ah, my thoughts are going this way and that. I don't know if I have anything interesting to say. And then I remembered that Kevin said to approach these audio-only episodes in a more free-flowing, unformatted way. So when I get ready for the show on Sundays, our one hour long, I call it the TV show. I know this is a podcast, but but it really is a TV show. It's got graphics, it's produced, it's timed, it's edited, it's got its visual elements. It probably takes me between four, two to four hours, depending on the show, um, two to four or five hours to put together the material for the show. I like to go into it very organized. So I spend the week scanning the news, scanning social media for topics that I can use as a jumping off point. I mean, I do want to keep up with some current news events because I know that anybody who listens to a, a commentary show usually wants to know what the host thinks about those things. But I try to select things that can give me an opportunity to talk about the overarching themes that are of concern to me and th that we talk about on this show, um, our psychological relationship to each other, uh, our current era of narcissism, manipulation, these sorts of things. I was thinking this week, um, well, it, actually, let me finish that. So I go into the TV show very prepared. I have a script. It's not scripted. I'm not reading to you from a teleprompter. Most of it is improvised. Probably, I usually have between two, three, four lines or jokes that I pre-write and that I want to get verbatim because I want to deliver them right. But most of it is improv that comes from bullet points, from pictures, and from notes that I've made. Um, but it's still quite organized, and I can go through it step by step, and I like things that way, and it helps us put out what I hope is is a professional-looking and sounding show. But this is different. So um, I guess I'm already bringing you on my train of thought here. <laughs> I won't free associate, I promise. I want to talk about identity, and particularly American identity. What do we mean by identity? 
it's something that consumes us. We talk about it constantly. We ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I to myself? Who am I to other people? But identity seems to me to have become a fetish, a commercial product, if you will, instead of signaling to people that you are in the cool kids group because you wear the right brand of sneakers or the right brand of clothes or you drive the right car. I mean, people still do these things, right? We signal our identities to people through communicating our alleged emotional allegiances, right? Now, some of them may be real emotional allegiances, but a lot of them are alleged, and we might even be alleging them to ourselves. We show the world that we're good people by talking about things that good people are supposed to care about, and that's going to depend on which group you align yourself with. Um, or at any point along the spectrum, liberal, conservative, religious, non-religious, man, woman, whatever it is. But in the mainstream, and, and today the left has the mainstream, has their hands on the steering wheel of mainstream culture. On the left, we seem to establish our identity and our moral worthiness by showing that we care about the things that we're supposed to care about or pretending to show that we care. So we've done this. We did it all through the past two years. I don't know how much longer we're still going to do it. It looks like it may be slowing down a little bit, but we've done it with COVID. We've done it with all the virtue signaling about, I wear my mask to protect other people. Um, I don't want grandmas to die. Anybody who doesn't do what I do wants children and grandmas to die. On and on and on and on. And a lot of us can't really believe these things we're saying. I think a lot of this is autopilot behavior because it's expected of us. Well, we're switching now. Um, as I talk about, well, I'm recording the show on Sunday. It's going to come out on Monday. But as I'm talking to you right now, it's uh, two hours before our pre-recorded TV show goes out. And I talk about this on the show, the, the switch from COVID 24-7 to Ukraine and Russia 24-7. And some of the same people who've done nothing but be COVID martyrs or COVID saviors are now becoming Ukraine saviors or Ukraine emotional martyrs. It's so driven by fashion. What are we doing? What do we think we're doing? When we get on social media and, and we change our profile picture to a flag of the of <laughs> the Ukraine. Did you hear that? That was racist. <laughs> to a flag of Ukraine or like Anna Navarro on The View where we actually wear a blue and yellow shirt underneath our jacket to show people that we stand with the right people. What are we doing and how much do we really care about these things that we claim to care about? Here's the disclaimer. I don't like war. I don't like seeing people frightened. I don't like seeing their families split apart. I don't like seeing young men conscripted into fighting wars and possibly being killed. I don't like seeing women and children abandoned. I don't like seeing sovereign nations invaded. Okay? I think this is a pretty normal baseline that we can assume that most decent humans share. And that's, and that's it. I'm not going to justify it any further than that. 
I'm sorry that the people in Ukraine are facing what they are facing right now. But it is also true that there is nothing or very, very little that we Americans can do to change what's going on in Ukraine right now. And I don't think we should expect to get special points or social credit. And I don't think that we should try to achieve a higher social status by signaling how much we care about the people in Ukraine. Any more than I think we should get higher social status by signaling how much we care about trans people or how much we care about women's issues or how much we care about racism. If we care about these things, we do the work. We, the actual work, I don't mean the work in the way the Wokies say, but I mean actual work. What are the material problems that, that can be identified and then solved. And then after the material problems, what are the cultural problems? What are the emotional problems? What's hampering our conversation? What is making it difficult for us to live peaceably among each other? These are things that, that, that we can do something about. But we can do something about them where we live, in our countries, in our communities, in our cultures. But we can't do very much about what's going on over there in Ukraine. And... I saw something. Let me see if I can find it for you. Well, I can't find it for you, so I'm just going to have to <laughs> I'm just going to have to improv it. I've seen a number of sentiments that boil down to something like this. People are dying in Ukraine. And yet here you are talking about the price of gas in New York. People are dying in Ukraine and losing their homes and here you are talking about abortion rights in Texas, or people are dying in Ukraine and here you are talking about whatever it is that people are talking about. Well, this is what humans do. We all have interests and those interests that are closer to home, these are normal and natural interests to have. I don't know how we got to the point where we think that we're not acceptably moral people unless we are displaying sentiments about big, dramatic world issues that are not only physically distant from us, but politically distant in such a way that we can only affect them very indirectly and very slowly through, well, allegedly through changes in who we vote for, although I don't trust the elections in the United States anymore, so I'm never sure if the person who won actually won. And, and after that, there seems to be very little leverage for the average citizen to influence foreign policy. But I wonder why we expect this of other people. I wonder why we put people down for looking closer to home or for attending and putting more of their emotional energy and more of their time commitment into issues that are personal to them, that they have experience with, and that affect people in the circle that they care about and love. I think this is normal. A lot of people don't think this is normal anymore. And I guess another thing that I wonder about when I look at these people who spend so much time telling everybody on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter about how much they care about Ukraine or how much they care about X country, this, that, or the other thing, do you not have any problems in your life, in your neighborhood, in your school system? Because I think you do. <laughs> I guess if you're one of those people who 
uh, thinks we should mask forever and that teaching children about sex changes and oral sex and as one uh, high school library book described it, vagina slime. And if you want to know more about that, look at our past uh, television show episodes. We do a whole thing on a book called Gender Queer, which features all of this stuff in a supposedly heartwarming coming out tale that is in public high school libraries. I suppose if you think that all of that is normal, uh, then you think you don't have any problems locally. So maybe I'm ruminating about a group of people who wouldn't listen to anything I had to say anyway, so what's the point? (laughs) I also have a cat here. I wish I could uh, get her to say hello to you. Little Mina, the small tabby, is walking all over the recording equipment because cats love kerosene. And I have a kerosene lamp, a nice high-powered kerosene lamp that puts on a nice lot of heat and, a, and 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 lights an entire table or desk for you. And she is just cuddled down right next to it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Those of you who don't know, my winter hobby is um, light restoration and refurbishment of antique kerosene lighting. I've got a couple dozen of them, probably five or six in in pretty constant use during the winter. Um, They're charming. Uh, The quality of the light I find very soothing in the evening. Um, And the the big ones um, that they used to use, uh, not like the little little ones that have like a small flat wick, but these are big ones that have a big round cylindrical wick that puts out a big flame and lots of light. They can can heat a small house in winter very nicely. Um, So I like them because I like mechanical things. Don't worry about the cats. The lamps are never left unattended. There are fire extinguishers on both floors. There's one in my bedroom, there's one in the kitchen, and there's one in the living room. So there's always a fire extinguisher at hand. And you know, I've been running these things for about, I don't know, five to seven years now uh, when I finally decided to indulge this hobby. The cats have never knocked them down. They've never burned their tail. They they know something. They know they like to be next to them, but they're very ginger. Um so nobody's getting hurt here. All right, that was a long tangent about kerosene lamps. <laughs> Where am I going with this? Um, identity. I think we need an American national identity. I think we used to have one, or we more of us used to believe that we have one. I know there are people who believe we have one now. But over the past... Mm, 50, it must be at least since the 60s. The idea of being patriotic as an American has become morally troublesome. Patriotism, and I know this is true for a lot of people, and I also know that it was true for me when I was a leftist. Patriotism was a sim, uh, excuse me, a synonym for jingoism, belligerent, warmongering, ultra macho, bluster and threats of domination and abuse. That is not what being American has to be about. It's not. And we can't share our national symbols. If you fly an American flag today, half the population will look at you as if you are a jingoist, and 
they will think of you as, well, here are the things they will think. You're a Trump or you voted for Trump. And of course, that's morally uh, unacceptable as well. Um, and if you voted for Trump, they know everything about you they need to know to judge you thoroughly. Um, if you fly an American flag, you're not for women's rights. You're not for gay rights. You are not for equal pay for women. You are for black people being mistreated. You're for all these terrible things that, again, are part of our history, but much more part of our history than part of our present. We're about halfway through. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to make a cup of tea. We'll come back and pick it up. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. Well, my tea isn't done uh, because I took a shorter break, and this is the magic of edited audio, so you don't know this. So I'm going to very quietly sneak away in between sentences and finish my tea and come back, but you'll never know. So American identity, what would that... And Why do we need that? Because all we have today, it seems to me, are micro-bespoke identities. I'm gay. I'm queer. I'm Demi. I'm a woman. I'm this kind of woman. I'm a first wave feminist. I'm a radical feminist. I'm, what other identities do we have? I'm a person of color. I'm a black person. Um, I'm a refugee. Well, that's, that's not as common. All of these so-called identities are really, well, they're more like brand names. They're more like very highly specialized boutique brand identities. The point of them is not to have a commonality with other people. The point is to have a difference and to have that difference celebrated. How many times have you heard that phrase over the past 25 years? Celebrate our differences. It starts, I think, a lot of times in a good place. It starts in a place that says, we are, we all have differences. Our skin color might be different. Our religions might be different. The countries we come from might be different. We might eat different food. We have different notions about what constitutes a, uh, a decent marriage. But we all are in this classroom together, or we're all in this workplace together, or we're all in this church together, or we're all in whatever we're in together. What do we actually share? We don't talk about that. In trying to make room for... I guess a less tendentious way to put it than celebrate would be to respect and tolerate, at least respect and tolerate our differences. We've been convinced that they have to be celebrated. So we have to make a big fuss, a big much about our differences. And it's our differences that make us interesting. It's our differences that make us worth respecting, not our commonalities. And I don't think a lot of people who participated in the Celebrate Our Differences mindset, I don't think they set out to do this. Some of them, I think, did. <laughs> you know, whenever you get cultural movements going like this, the really powerful people and the movers and shakers who make something out of it often tend to be egotistical people who are doing it cynically rather than um, for the reasons stated on the tin. 
But I don't think a lot of people meant to do this. But over time, this is calcified into an idea that we no longer question. It's, it's a moral precept. Differences are good. Celebrate differences. We have to do that first. We don't have any room anymore. Not only can we not celebrate commonality, but to point to commonality and to say, I think there is something good in having commonality and a common shared identity is looked at itself with suspicion, as if that indicates something retrograde, backward, or unsophisticated about you, that, that you're a bigot. I don't think it has to be this way. And, and I don't understand why, you know, I, I talked about this on Twitter, as I talk about so many things. And several people reminded me correctly that this is not a problem unique to the United States. This is going on in the Anglosphere. It's going on in Canada. It's going on in the UK. I'm not as sure how much of it is going on in Australia. I suspect, you know what, I'll ask my friend Helen Dale about that. She may, she'll probably have a good beat on this. But it is the Anglosphere in which people are ashamed of being American ashamed of being Canadian, ashamed of being British. If you don't listen to the British podcast Triggernometry, it's like the term trigonometry, but it's trigonometry, start listening. That show and the guests they have on, um, they talk about politically, morally, and culturally unpopular ideas that are very important to talk about and I have had my mind expanded, both by the wide variety of guests on that show from Walks of Life I never would have listened to before, but also listening to the hosts, Constantin Kissin and Francis Foster, um, work through these issues out loud and talk about it out loud with their guests. I highly, highly recommend you listen to that show. Now, why was I talking about trigonometry? Um, this is what happens when you get freeform, folks. Um <laughs> now I'm really going to have to rack my brain. Okay, I remember. One of the hosts of Trigonometry, Constantin Kissin, has mentioned several times his experience of this phenomenon in Great Britain. Um, Constantin was born in the Soviet Union. I believe that he came to Great Britain somewhere around the time he was 12, but I'm not certain about that. So it was an interesting perspective, as immigrants often do, um, about their adopted countries um, and People who come from authoritarian regimes who end up in the liberated West often have a much greater appreciation for the quality of life that we have in the West than people who've grown up in the West and have never known any different will have. And he's remarked many times about how ashamed British people are to be British. They don't want to talk about a British national identity. Does that mean that you hate the Windrush generation of immigrants from the Caribbean? Uh, does that mean that that you don't think people of color have problems? You know, why are you flying the British flag? That's only for, uh, I don't know what their names are for it, but if it were the United States, we call them hicks and rednecks and hillbillies and fundamentalist Christians. Something's wrong with us in the West. We don't appreciate what we have. And we we don't seem to believe that we have anything worth preserving or improving. Although my politics have changed, I'm no longer a leftist. I have many more conservative positions than I used to, many more libertarian positions. 
I'm not going to peg myself anywhere except to say I'm closest to a classical liberal, which is not the same thing as what liberal means in the U.S. I know full well what sins this country has in its past. We have slavery. We have Jim Crow. We have women not having the vote. We have many others you could catalog, and most other countries do too. These past sins do not have to follow us down our family lines. We don't have to take on that burden. When we've made changes and improvements, and we have, toward a more perfect union, if you will, why can't we take pride in that? Or not take pride. I think we take pride in too many things. Why can't we take satisfaction in that? Why can't that be a goal that we work toward and that we all say, I'm glad we made this progress. I think we've made this a better place for everyone else to live. Related to this topic of identity is what people call representation. And they mean representation in television, in movies, on corporate boards, um, representation of minorities, representations of women, representations of black people, gay people, trans people, etc. A lot of this is focused on media representations. There seems to be a real fixation with loading up our entertainment, our movies, our television shows with alternative lifestyles. And people say representation is so important. What does that mean? It's so important for what? Well, people will say, I never saw myself in any of the television shows I watched. Um, and that really affected me. And I, my life would have been so much better had I seen that. I have two responses to that because uh, I understand it to some degree. I remember thinking that when I was much younger and there were very few gay characters in any popular media and those who were um, were played for comic relief in the most stereotypical way possible, um, I felt some of these things myself. I felt some resentment. I think some of it was excessive. I think some of it was justified. So I think some of this is justified. But we have so much representation now that you... You can't watch a show or look at the commercials that I don't care if you're watching regular network television, cable, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. I don't care what it is. The commercials that come across your screen. I can't remember more than maybe 10% of those commercials featuring any white people for at least the past two years, maybe three. Everybody is a light skinned mixed race family. Um, or they are, they look vaguely Hispanic or Chicano. Uh, you can't quite tell. Uh, every party has one Asian woman, one light-skinned black guy with uh, curly dreadlocks, uh, probably no white guy. I mean, representation is just everywhere. Oh, and there's always somebody who's queer. And it's usually a they, them, a non-binary who's an obvious woman. And they just look like every other lesbian with a short haircut has looked since 1952. <laughs> what is representation important for? Here's what I think is really underneath that. I'm going to read you something that I wrote on Facebook a few days ago. 
<laughs> I can't add to it or edit it because guess what? I got a ban. I got another 30-day ban on Facebook this morning for making a joke with a friend of mine who is a mixed-race guy, uh, one white parent, one black. Um, he's more liberal than I am, but we have a lot of crossover, and he sees a lot of the same. He sees a lot of the same nonsense that I see, um, and and he has no trouble criticizing um, the narcissistic manipulators in in the race baiting game. He doesn't necessarily consider them his people simply because they say, "Well, we share a skin color problem." So he he wrote a he wrote a post about why people insist on watching TV shows on their computer when they could use their big lovely uh, flat screen TV with better resolution and all this sort of stuff. And I just jokingly, uh, well, at first I responded and I just said, well, you know, I don't particular I don't have a TV. I just watch things on the computer. Uh, and here's why. Da 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 da. And we joke back and forth because Chris is a funny guy. And. I don't remember what he said, but my response to him was, you know, Chris, you're supposed to call me a racist because I said I don't like big, black, ugly things on my wall. And I was talking about what I think are big, black, ugly television sets that mar a wall that ought to have the painting on it. That makes me a racist. Facebook thinks it does. Facebook thinks it does. (laughs) Yeah, 30-day ban for saying that, for making a joke with my mixed-race friend. (sighs) So anyway, I'll read that to you. Maybe uh, something to cap off this edition of the show. It's about cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation is not real. It's not a real crime. It never has been. I urge you to let go of this silly idea. Humans have begged borrowed, stolen, imitated, and commercialized, quote, other people's cultures since time immemorial. It is part of the very definition of culture. If I wear a sombrero, I have not enacted a taking from a Mexican. I have not taken his job. I have not taken his voice. Even if you personally find my wearing a sombrero aesthetically offensive, I still haven't done a taking. I have not stolen something from him, neither something material nor any opportunity. If I dress up in drag and stuff a bra, I'm not wearing woman face. I have not appropriated female body parts, as I often see drag queens accused of. All I've done is repurposed a bag of lentils, two bags of lentils, as a matter of fact that make good fake tits. I have not enacted a taking from women. I haven't taken their jobs, their voices, or their dignity. So again, even if you personally hate this and find it gross, I'm still not guilty of those crimes because they're not real crimes. They are narcissistic, cultural, copyright takedown attempts. They're sad feels about something you think that only you own as a brand, and you don't. And that, my friends, is what I have to say today. Thanks for joining me. Talk to you again in a couple of days. Well, 
Hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.